Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal, revealing stories. She whispered, did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach. General Star, Elijah Heimbach speaking. How may I help? Into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the pop sex. Yes, you just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. Seeing a sex worker isn't like normal sex. It's a gift that you can give yourself. It's a chance to explore things in a safe space with someone who can hold space for you. And I think everyone can benefit from something like that. Like, that's so lovely. <laughs> This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, before we get started, I have just a few pieces of housekeeping. Uh, we are still looking for more artists for Rock Candy Podcasts. So if you have a podcast or you are thinking about starting one, I would love to hear your pitch. Please go to stephenbradfordlong.com. You can send me an email and uh, maybe we can produce it. We are looking for all kinds of subjects from comedy to politics to horror to genre stuff to what really anything under the sun as long as it adheres to our policy of radical curiosity and kindness so if you have a podcast or you are thinking about starting one please let me know i can't wait to hear it and finally the show is only possible with your support so i already work full time i am working myself to death over here. And the only way this show is sustainable is if you go to my Patreon forward slash Stephen Bradford Long and donate a certain amount every month. It, a dollar will do, but really support the artists you listen to. We are not getting paid enough. And it is if you enjoy an artist, if you find yourself waking up every week uh, excited to listen to the work of a particular artist, please go support them. It means the whole world to us. So if you do support to my Patreon, you will get some extra benefits. You will get daily meditations on the tarot for that particular day. You will also get a weekly patrons-only podcast called The House of Heretics, in which my assistant Justin and I talk about very not-safe-for-work things while we are drinking coffee. Uh, all the things that I edit out of my regular show is the stuff that stays in in the patrons' show. And that's either good or bad, depending on your perspective. All right. <laughs> well, with that, I am incredibly excited to welcome Kit to the show. Thank you, Kit, so much for joining me. Thanks, Stephen. So you're all the way over there in Australia. I believe it is early morning for you. There. Yes. How early is it? What time um, is it over there? It's about 8 a.m. Oh, Jesus early. Christ. Oh, that's very <laughs> early for me. I am never alive at 8 a.m. Okay. <laughs> I've been awake since 6, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I need my beauty rest. I have to go to bed every single night at midnight on the dot and then wake up nine hours 
later exactly at 9 a.m. And if I don't do that every single night, I just fall apart. <laughs> so tell us um, about who you are and what you do. Sure. So um, my name or my working name is Kit Bauer. Um, I'm a 26-year-old non-binary sex worker living in Melbourne, Australia. I've been in the industry for coming up on two years now. I've worked in brothels as an independent escort and also doing porn. I'm incredibly passionate about the sex industry and seeing that sex workers receive the treatment that they deserve. So a life free of discrimination and having their labor respected for what it is, which is, it's labor, it's work. It is, absolutely. So, you know, we were talking about this some before we started recording, but listeners can look forward to more sex workers appearing on this show in the regular rotation of Marxists and socialists and Satanists. You can also look forward to sex workers because here's the thing. I don't know what the environment is like over there in Australia. I've never been to Australia, so I can't speak to that. Uh, really. But here in America, so I am here in the South, here in North Carolina and Appalachia. And there, you know, sex work touches all of our lives. And whether we like it or not, it touches all of our lives. We have all watched porn at some point. Many of us have seen an escort at some point. And so, but we are unwilling to talk about it, acknowledge it, or or treat sex workers with the dignity that they that they deserve, especially given the fact that they are providing a service. <laughs> and so, this is a really serious problem, and that's one of many reasons why I wanted to have you on because your website is fascinating. You know, you write a lot about this stuff and, mm -hmm. and you know, you have a fascinating blog and it's just really, really lovely. So talk about what got you, what, what got you into this? And I'm sure that this is probably a very long story that you can't encapsulate in a single podcast. But but what was it that, that got you interested in, in this line of work? Probably a pretty similar reason why most of the people look for work. Uh, I needed to pay rent. Yeah, so... I suppose there's that side of it of just very normal, relatable human reasons of why most people look for work is not having a great deal of money and needing money. Um, but of course, it's a little bit different when you think about the stigmatization attached to sex workers and sex work, that it's not a decision that many people take lightly. So for me, I think there's two parts to that. The first is being queer and struggling to fit in in normal workplaces but not really understanding why because I hadn't come out as non-binary it wasn't it was still something that I was figuring out and being in conservative workplaces was really difficult and I had a lot of anxiety I was depressed it was a tough time and also I think I've been quite curious about sex for most of my life and quite comfortable working in sexuality and I suppose getting to explore that like it's something that isn't a chore for me I suppose that's fascinating now you you mentioned the stigma that sex workers face hmm. and and again I mean I can only imagine that this is an incredibly broad topic that we can't even you know like begin to understand in a single podcast but but to help my listeners kind of begin to understand it hmm. um what sort of stigma do you face in, in regards to the work that you do? So 
it is quite different in Australia as opposed to where you are in the States. So in okay. Victoria, I do have options for legal sex work. Not Oh, for- that's amazing. Yeah. So not all of my work is legal. Um, okay. Some of it is still illegal, but there are options. So the stigma doesn't prevent me from having a legal job or a mostly legal job. Sure. Legal-ish. Um, yeah, exactly. But I think stigma is this giant, overarching, ubiquitous thing of being a sex worker. It's mm. comes up in all sorts of weird places. And I think the biggest way that it affects me is probably access to services. So when you think about all the things that you need to receive as a human being, whether it's a doctor, a physio, a psychologist, all of that healthcare kind of stuff, um, right through to being able to take out income insurance or being able to go to the police and be taken seriously if something goes wrong. Right. Or being able to explain to your landlord why you don't have pay slips, but you do have sums of money going into your account on irregular occasions it's just all of these things that i think i didn't really realize that i wouldn't just be able to say oh i'm a sex worker so the stigma is having to hide i suppose having to come up with backstories and live in a little bit of fear of being found out yeah now and and so being found out so a lot of what you're you're describing is like logistical stuff that most of us probably just don't think about, like stuff that we take for granted. Like when, like, you know, like when I rent a place, I just take for granted that it's fine. I mean, no, I'm, I mean, I'm queer and it's North Carolina, so it isn't <laughs> fine because they can still evict me <laughs> for that and legally in the state of North Carolina. But a lot of stuff that we just take for granted you can't because of this ridiculous stigma on sex work. Um, And, and I can't, I can imagine that that probably takes a toll keeping, keeping that up. I I expect that there's probably quite a bit of energy, like emotional and mental energy that goes into maintaining that. A hundred percent because it's a whole bunch of logistical nightmare stuff, but it also mm. <clears throat> feeds into my safety and my ability to keep myself safe. And I think this is why sex worker burnout is such a big thing because not only are we doing a job where we're having sex with strangers, which can be a wonderful thing, but is almost always draining. Um, being physically intimate with a stranger, I think, takes a special kind of energy. Um, mm. So you're doing that, and then you have all of this logistical nightmare stuff as well, which often can lead into big fears for your safety. It's yeah, like say I'm in my apartment and something goes wrong with a client, then what are my options? Right, like who do you call or who do I call? Like if I go to yeah. the police, is it actually going to be worse for me that I was doing something illegal and then I'm going to be facing eviction potentially from my place if mm. you know my landlord was to ever find out um so it's just all of this giant balancing act a lot of the time yeah that's that's insane now mm. is there are there are are there similar kind of logistical stigmas that that can really result in endangering you are there similar are there similar stigmas that you face with with working in porn um, or no. are there more protections there? Okay. Porn, porn is entirely legal. Porn 
it's not a big source of my income. So I tend to be pretty choosy with the people that I work with, like the companies Mm. that I work with. So yeah, it's, I feel quite safe doing that. It's largely the only risk with that is having your face on the internet doing a whole bunch of naked things. (laughs) But there's so much porn out there these days. (laughs) also let's just be real how many of us aren't naked on the internet these days (laughs) like (laughs) exactly exactly like Um, lord knows there's plenty of me from my 20s floating (laughs) out there on some server (laughs) yeah i this is actually one thing if i could rule the world for the for one day i think i would make everyone post a nude on the internet just so it could absolutely me too just so (laughs) <laughs> well, and and you know, there's actually here's actually something that I've decided. If someone ever does decide to, you know, do do some like revenge porn on me and show my floppy tits, you know, these these big bare breasts and and you know these sumptuous curves, I'm just gonna start posting nudes on Twitter, <laughs> like like fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's. I, I mean, go for it. Post news on Twitter, but then also you'll be welcome to the Shadow Band Club. <laughs> the Shadow Band Club. Tell me about that. Uh, so Twitter Shadow Bands people when they post nudes, which means yeah. that a lot of sex workers are almost constantly shadow banned. Which um, which means that which that, means so, that you don't show up in searches. If you use hashtags, right. you won't appear in the broad discussion of that hashtag. Um, it's far harder for people to find you and I'm not sure if it impacts like where you are in people's timelines. I know that Mm. posting sensitive content on a regular basis can mean that you appear less in people's timelines. Um, so yeah, it's part of Twitter's trying to keep the platform friendly for a lot of people. But it also means that if you post risque content and that is your business or that is just something that you want to do to like claim space and yeah, not be um, not have revenge porn be something that people can hold against you, it means that potentially people aren't going to find your account or be able to engage with your content right. much. Which is yeah. such a shame. Nudes are great. Which which really really sucks. Yeah, I mean that's awful. Well, and and just for me to back up for people who don't know what revenge porn is. Revenge porn is this really horrific trend where someone has a grudge against someone and they take or, and they hack into their private files and they post porn or, or not porn but but nudes of that person onto the internet and and try to shame that person. And and there's just so much wrapped up in that that's so toxic. I mean, it's the assumption that people that women's bodies in particular are shameful. Mm. That's the assumption behind that that and that n- nudity is a can be used as a as a is a shaming thing. I don't know. There there's just so much in that that's so destructive. Yeah, that nudity is something to be ashamed of more so than violating someone's privacy and doing a really cruel thing exactly that's exactly a wild world that we live in (laughs) yes yes it is so you have on your website something that's really really lovely i found it really lovely and Hmm. you offer a discount for trans and non-binary 
and I believe you also had disabled people in there, or maybe not, but but definitely trans and women, trans yeah. trans people and women. Yeah. And I just thought that it was so lovely that you offer a discount to people who are not usually who because I mean, sex work usually is really geared towards cis heterosexual cisgender heterosexual guys. And so, just explain your reasoning behind that practice for you. Uh, there's yeah there's so many reasons behind it and I feel like offering a discount is I don't feel like I'm doing enough but it's a step in the Mm. right direction I suppose so when you think about who's traditionally had the kind of money that they can book sex workers who's had the position of power that they can be out of the house um without people keeping tabs on where they are it's cishet men um Mm. This means that they're the ones with like the time and the power and the means to book sex workers. And now, even as that's changing, advertising platforms around the world are geared towards the male gaze. So like I think about what it would be like to be a woman scrolling through ads and it's the website itself is built for men. The way that sex workers take photos is often appealing to the male gaze. The way that services are described they're not queer friendly. They tend to be breaking things down as if it's a person with a vagina and a person with a penis having sex. Um, yes, exactly. And you combine that with the fact that women tend to spend so much money or trans people tend to spend so much money on, say, it's more expensive to get your hair cut as a woman. As a trans person, the amount that you have to spend potentially on gender affirmation processes so you're less likely to have money. Things aren't marketed towards you. And then to top it all off, you're probably ashamed for, or felt ashamed or being shamed for expressing your sexuality. So I think that booking a sex worker is quite unapproachable for those people for a whole bunch of complex reasons. And I do think that that's changing. I think there are more queer sex workers who are open about their queerness in their advertising or who, like myself, offer discounts to women, trans and gender non-conforming people. But yeah, it's this giant overarching power structure that (laughs) means that these people are less likely to pay for sex. And Hmm. I think they could really benefit from it because seeing a sex worker isn't like normal sex. It's a gift that you can give yourself. It's a chance to explore things in a safe space with someone who can hold space for you. And I think everyone can benefit from something like that. Like, that's so lovely. <laughs> I, you know, I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. And there is clear, you are clearly meeting a need for mm. people. What, what is that need? So, the, uh, you know, I think that we have a very, and by we, I mean non-sex workers and mm. people who just tend to, you know, jerk off to porn and then not think about it. We, we, we tend to just have this very surface level understanding of what sex work is, mm. that it is just all about getting off. And that's not true, is it? It's, it's deeper than that. For us, I mean, maybe it is for some people, for, for, and that's fine. But there are deeper and more nuanced elements to sex work and seeing a sex worker. There are needs that are being met there that are deeper than just getting off. What are those needs that you are meeting in your clients? Yeah. So I want to be super clear that for some clients, it is just about getting off. 
it's stress release it which is 100% okay yeah it's the pleasure of like getting to fuck someone that you maybe wouldn't pick up in a bar like whether it's an age difference or you know I have a, a bunch of tattoos and even that can be like, ooh, that's a little quirk, getting to have sex with someone <laughs> with tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's this like full spectrum of clients and experiences that they're wanting. And then it's people who, gosh, all sorts, people who may have been raped or assaulted and it's part of their process of reclaiming their sexuality. Mm. Um, trans people potentially needing to explore their sexual self as part of their affirmation process. Yes. And needing a safe space to do it in. Yeah, I've had clients doing that. I, as a non-binary person, have done that myself. And I think our sexuality and sexual expression for most people is such a fundamental part of our humanity. And it can't be separated from who we are as people. And for whatever reason, perhaps it's shyness, Um, having a body type that isn't seen as desirable or having a really stressful job and not having time to pursue a relationship or whatever reason, sex just isn't readily available for that person. And so they invest some money in getting to connect to this really important part of who they are. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Like perhaps when you get a really good hug from a friend, just how nice it is to be touched. Or perhaps you haven't gotten laid for a while and then you have a hookup or whatever. And just that feeling of like, oh, something feels better now that I've got to do this and experience it with another person. And I think that's a big reason of why a lot of people seek out sex workers services because without that, you can be miserable and you can do all the yoga and do all the meditation. But sometimes what you need is just to be naked and bed with another person and get to express yourself in that way. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And I think that's really beautifully said. Tell me some about the intersection between disability and sex work. Do you find that there's a special need mm-hmm. with uh, people who have uh, disabilities uh, and sex work? Is that is help me understand that? Yeah. So I have I'm maybe not the best person to answer this question. Okay. I can speak about it. So I've had a few disabled clients, but it's not something that I've taken training in. So it's not something that I advertise for. But I do know that in Australia, there's this organization called Touching Base which is run by a sex worker and she's perhaps has other health qualifications as well, but she's built this entire program around giving sex workers the information that they need to support disabled clients and both like support them in their physical needs, but also treat them in a way where they're going to feel like a peer, like an equal and like their disability isn't an issue and the safe space that they deserve essentially. And so sex workers around Australia take this course. It's in a different state to the one I'm in, but it's on my to-do list at some point to take this course. And then you go on the touching base list of people who've had those services and um, had that training and occupational therapists, everyone has access to that list and can recommend to disabled clients. Look, there are these people, they'll be able to support you. Mm. Um, that's which, wonderful. It's such an amazing initiative. Um, it is. Yeah, no yeah. that that's so valuable. And you know, when as you're talking, there's so I come from a a conservative Christian background. 
Mm-hmm. And so there is a lot, and I mean a lot. And maybe you did too. I don't I don't know your background, no. but there's just so much stigma around sexuality and not and not just the act of sex, but wanting sex, the need for sex. The and and so I find myself having lots of conversations with people, not not even about, you know, I had this hookup and I'm it was it was really fun and awesome, but I'm feeling terrible about it. And now I want to kill myself, which are conversations I've had. Mm. It's very unfortunate, but also people who feel guilt for wanting sex to begin with. And what I find myself telling people is think about the Adam and Eve story and how it, you know, in, in creation in in that garden, and it was presumably, and I don't believe it's a literal story, but I, I use this story to, to try to convince or compel people that it's okay to want this, that this is such a deep, visceral human need. And it's okay to want intimacy. And I, what I tell them is even in the perfection of the garden, you know, when Adam was presumably in total union with God, he had no want, he had no need, all his needs were, were provided. There was still something that was missing and that something was sexual intimacy. It doesn't matter how good our lives are or how spiritual you are or how close your relationship with God is or, or any of that. It doesn't matter. None of that can alleviate. For most of us, it can't alleviate this very deep, innate human need for intimacy. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. And so I, I just find a lot of what you're talking about and what you do just so beautiful and so human because it's just, I find it just deep when you, I don't know, when, like I come from that world, from that Christian world, it, I just find it so deeply validating of what it means to be human, like so compassionate towards what it means to be a human being. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's such a beautiful way of putting it. And it is so heartbreaking when you have clients who are seeking out the services of the sex worker because they feel like they need sex and it's an important thing for them. And it's not just sex, but it's human connection and it's touch and it's self-expression and it's self-exploration. But I know after the booking some clients not all they just feel so ashamed and it's not that Mm. they've seen a sex worker it's just that they've had sex that they've acted on those thoughts and yeah it it's so awful because what a beautiful thing that this shame that's indoctrinated in most of us and that we all feel to varying extents can ruin this wonderful thing yeah Hmm. How do you respond when a client feels that shame? What, how, and I know it isn't your shame and you probably mm-hmm. don't take that on, but, but how do you react when a client expresses that shame? This is a really great question. And I think something that I struggle with a little bit because I am cognizant of my own boundaries and my own energy levels and that seeing a sex worker can be really therapeutic and a wonderful thing, but there are some things that should be worked through with a psychologist or a counselor. Mm, Um, And if someone's chosen to spend one hour with me and these big feelings come up, I'm not going to push them out the door when these feelings are coming up, but I'm also not going to open up a can of worms that could be really triggering. And right. 
Yeah, it's this really fine balancing act. Generally, I mean, I'm fascinated by people's sexualities and how people respond to them. So I'll ask them questions and generally just validate everything that they're feeling of. Yeah, that's a feeling that a lot of people have. I can see why you have that now. Um, there are these resources that I can point you towards or that's a feeling that I've experienced myself and this is how I've worked through it or something to not ignore this giant part of their experience with their sexuality, but also to not potentially open up something that I'm not equipped to deal with and that could actually make the experience worse for the client. I can imagine that must just be an incredibly difficult balance to maintain with clients. Do you notice that there are certain demographics who experience more shame? Are there certain groups of people who you notice more or less shame? No. Is it just across the board? I, oh, I'm racking my brains. Like right now okay. I want to say it's white guys in their 30s, but I feel like that just could be because that's a large portion of my client base. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've had it. Um, I had a client this week actually who – was a white guy in his 30s, early 30s. And he was the last person that I would have expected to have such intense shame. Just quite progressive inner city life, I suppose. And largely due to his upbringing, yeah, I think for him there was just this rising feeling of anxiety after sex. And he said that that was with partners and with sex workers. I've Older men, I've had them express feelings of shame. And that tends to be more about certain sex acts rather than sex itself like perhaps they've had that's sex interesting a certain way their whole life and hmm. exploring new things can bring up a lot then i also have quite a lot of south asian clients so clients from india or sri lanka there can definitely be shame for them around sex itself and an unwillingness perhaps to explore. But while there are these examples, I don't want any generalizations to be made from this. There's always people right at the other end of the spectrum. You know, Absolutely. Always older men who it's like, well, you know, they're so okay with everything. And they're just like, oh, yeah, give it a go. Why not? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what does your day look like? Like what, what does your work day look like? This is, yeah, I love it. And unless friend. that is, <laughs> I'm so glad. And unless this is like too, too confidential information for <laughs> that you don't want to, if there's anything you don't want to share on this podcast publicly, I'm totally okay with yeah. it. <laughs> Just a heads up. I'll call Red. Um, <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> so I've had a whole bunch of different work schedules. When I started out, I was working in a brothel. So that was night shifts. Okay. Um, which is pretty intense. Right now, my work schedule, I generally wake up sometime between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. I go to yoga. I come home, eat breakfast, and do about an hour of admin. So I cut off my admin time at one hour. So that's responding to emails, generally okay. security screenings, social media stuff. So I sometimes do that. I generally do that throughout the day because... <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, updating my website, anything like that. And then if I'm seeing clients, then that will be the focus for the day. It's 
I generally, I find my work to be quite energetically draining. So it's rare for me to see more than two clients in a day, I would say. Like one to two would be normal. And then the rest of my time, I generally spend on writing. So I write, you come across my blog, I write a blog for clients that's sort of about marketing. So generally talking about sexuality, some of the things that we've talked about today of um, unpacking shame and exploring yourself through to I just started doing erotica. I also publish things on Medium that are more political and more about getting people to understand sex workers and unpacking some of the stigma around the job. And then just for fun, I write short stories that are for me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's lovely. Um, so that's my day. And I, I love it so much. It's so wonderful. It's challenging to be in charge of your time, but it's so wonderful to feel like I have time for myself in all of these diverse ways and kind of fit work in around that. That's probably like the biggest benefit of my job. <laughs> Absolutely. So since this is a show about uh, religion and spirituality, do you have a particular religion or spirituality that you practice? Not a particular one. I would say okay. that I'm spiritual as a person. So Absolutely. I tend to read, I suppose, more secular philosophy. I was raised in a vaguely Christian family, Anglican. My, I have one crazy grandmother who's quite religious, but Christianity has never been a big part of my life. I've done a yoga teacher training, so I've learned a reasonable amount about Hinduism. I've done meditation courses in Theravada tradition of Buddhism. So I've dabbled in a lot of things, but if I was to very broadly describe my spirituality, it would just be living an examined life. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the best way. You know, I, I'm at the point now, you know, I'm part of all these crazy religious groups. I'm a member of the Satanic Temple. <laughs> I'm part of the Episcopal Church. And like also, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher as well. Oh, cool. um, and so I, so I teach meditation and, and like, I, I like to call myself a, a religious slut. I uh, <laughs> kind of cozy up to all kinds of different practices. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to living a mindful life. Mm. And and that's what it's all about for me. I suppose just on that thread of spirituality, at the top of the show when you were calling out for people to pick podcasts and you talked about radical curiosity and radical kindness. Mm. Is that it? I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah. Um, the radical kindness really stood out to me. Just I love that phrasing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the phrase unconditional kindness in relation mm. to my work over the last few months. And I think this is something that people don't understand about sex workers, is that to do this job, you need such a big heart. There is actually, I did this amazing dominatrix course with a woman who's also an archaeologist, and she had unpacked the history of the dominatrix and found this old hymn from Mesopotamia, I think, where it refer referred to like the temple dominatrix. Mm. Um, as the woman with the biggest heart. And I think that is such a beautiful way to think about sex workers, that we have so much generosity of spirits and of our bodies and with what we're prepared to give to our clients and often broadly the people around us. 
sometimes our jobs are extremely transactional and we have to be very guarded and we're worried for our safety. And it's just about providing a service and getting the money and getting out in an emotionally and physically safe way. Um, right through to touching people's lives in these incredibly profound ways and approaching them with kindness that they often don't experience in many facets of their life. And to have a stranger be so generous towards them is incredible for them and a huge part of what it means to be a sex worker. I think that's really beautiful. And, you know, I, I hope that we can build a society where we aren't ashamed of sex work within our communities. Mm. I mean, it's, we are all, you know, like I said at the top of the show, we are all affected by sex work in some way. And it is enormously unfair to us, but most of all unfair to the sex workers themselves that we are just unable or unwilling to talk about it because we're so ashamed of it. You know, there is this, there's this fantastic YouTuber named ContraPoints. She's a, a mm -hmm. trans, uh, trans leftist political YouTuber and, and everything she does is just extraordinary. But, but she did a video about this subject and she talked about how uh, here in America, we have a, a society that in, in which, um, trans porn is incredibly popular for straight audiences, but we aren't willing to give trans people rights. And she says, you know, we've created a society where we are willing to jerk off to trans people, but not give them rights. And that is just such an unbelievable injustice. Um, and, and it hurts everyone. Most of all, the trans people and, and trans sex workers, most of all them. And it hurts everyone as well it, it when we are all unable to not talk when it, when we are all unable to talk about sex and sexuality it hurts all of us it most especially hurts uh sexual minorities yeah it's i think this is a really interesting part of why people struggle to talk about sex work and struggle to engage with sex workers is that our work shines a really bright light on uncomfortable parts of society and uncomfortable parts of people. I so, think that's 100% true, yeah. Yeah, what other people like to have in their incognito mode of their browser um, that no one knows about and that they hide from everyone, like that is our work, that is our advertising, that is what we're throwing out there <laughs> into the world. Yes. And so it creates this really interesting dynamic where... It's something that people want to engage with, but they don't want anyone to know that they're engaging with it. And hmm. this is something that I've actually learned in my process of telling the people around me that I'm a sex worker is that their reactions to it are not about me. Um, they're about Absolutely. themselves and their discomfort in their sexuality and discomfort with like men seeking out sex in a transactional way that's something that comes up quite a lot and all of this other stuff that is their own internal shame and things that they have to work through mm -hmm. and as a sex worker I actually have to be weirdly careful about when I come out to people because it can be really triggering for them and hmm. I don't want to like throw them into this whole existential crisis if it's not the right time for them I huh. suppose 
Okay, yeah. that's that's fascinating. Could you tell me more about that? Like, like what kind of, how have people responded to you? How have individuals responded to you when you tell them that you're a sex worker? And and what does that like existential crisis look like? Like, I know for, and I'm one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by this is I know that a lot of my listeners right now, this very moment, are having that exact same existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think. I've actually been really lucky that I've had a lot of positive reactions. That's good. But yeah, definitely for some people, it's super confronting for them when sex is something that they don't talk about and it's something that they haven't prioritized in their life to know that that is how I am making money. And Mm -hmm. even just like the fact that I am comfortable enough in my sexuality that I can be a sex worker, like that's triggering. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps that they've always dismissed the possibility of seeking out the sex that they really want and just Mm. pushed it away and thought, that's not important. That's not important. That's not a part of who I am. And then to Mm. know that not only I think sex is super important, but that I make a living income on other people who think it's important. It just shatters Mm. their whole worldview. Yeah. That's fascinating. And no, I mean, I, I think that's true. You know, I encounter a lot of people who are just who, who and I think I was this way for a very long time of there is a of, you know, where there is a particular kind of sex that we want. Mm. And, and but for religious reasons, relational reasons, feeling, you know, because of shame or whatnot. And for me, it was gay sex. You know, I was trying to pretend to be straight. And that didn't go well at all. Um, and I was, you know, about to, I was on the path to marrying a woman and, and mm. all that. And, and so this is an experience that I've had, but it's also an experience I have heard a lot of other people articulate where it's like they want a particular kind of sex and maybe they are into a particular kink or they want to explore BDSM or they just want a level of intimacy and awesomeness and exploration that they aren't getting, and but they feel like they can't acknowledge it. And so they stuff it down and stuff it down. Well, the problem with that is that makes it feel like it's going to explode. That makes them feel like it's more and more and more powerful. And that makes them, that makes us feel more and more powerless, right? Mm. And And it's just this incredibly volatile situation (laughs) emotionally for people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can imagine how when someone comes face to face with you and they are living with that, it's just like deeply triggering. (laughs) I can totally see that. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, you up. Go ahead. Is there a way in which this stigma of sex work does, it makes, it makes sex work more dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Could you talk could you talk about that some? Yeah, so to be safe at work, I think there's having the protection of the law as the first thing. So hmm. if you're working outside the law or your law uh, or your job is entirely illegal, then if something goes wrong, you can't go to the, go to the police. And hmm. People who are malicious and who want to harm us know that and they use it against us. So if they know that you can't go to the police, then what is your safety net? Right. Your safety net is potentially other sex workers. It's hiring security, like 
a driver, say, but then the driver could be implicated as well in a crime. You've got to find someone willing to commit a crime or someone that you trust as well. That can be really difficult. Then, so that's full criminalization. Then there's other legal Hmm. models, which are also based on stigma, but perhaps a different kind of stigma. That's not just like sex is wrong and sex workers are wrong, but there's this thing called the Nordic model that started to gain a bit of traction over the last decade or... Can you say that one more time? There's a single witch model? Nordic. Nordic. Oh, like like Scandinavian. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, Which is a model of criminalization of the sex industry that is often touted by feminists to be like the answer to all our woes. And it is a model where the buyer, the client, is criminalized, but the sex worker isn't. Um, And this is so problematic because... Hmm. They're thinking that they're protecting us and that they're respecting us, but really they're denying that our labor is real work and Mm. they're making it far harder for us to work safely. So say I want to screen a client. He wants me to come to his house and I want to get his name and a proof of address just Mm, as part of helping me feel safe going into his house. If he's a criminal in the transaction, why on earth would he provide me with his details? Right. Um, so, you know, it makes safety measures really difficult. And the thing about hmm. the Nordic model countries is they say, we want to help sex workers. But so often what happens in practice shows that they really don't want to help sex workers and they hate us. Maybe that's a strong word, but I um, so often things like providing housing to sex workers is criminalized as part of the Nordic model. So if your landlord finds out that you're a sex worker, you'll face eviction. There are oh, sex Jesus workers Christ. who have been given uh, like two hours to get out of their apartment after being evicted. It makes living off the proceeds of sex work illegal. So a sex worker's family, their children can potentially be criminals under these models. Um, that's insane yeah and police don't work with sex workers in these countries there was one I can't remember which country it was but I think it was even called Operation Homeless where police were finding sex workers to evict them from their apartments in a country that was a Nordic model country that's so Um, awful yeah yeah. no I mean that is not a progressive ideal at all that is not truly progressive at all Mm. Yeah, that's that's such bullshit. Now, yeah. I don't I don't know if in in Australia are there the same are there, are there the same racial tensions there that we have here in the United States or is it similar? And ContraPoints did a video about this which I will link in the show notes because everyone everyone needs to watch this video where the vast majority of trans people in the United States who get killed on a yearly basis. Uh, And I do believe that number is going up since Trump has been elected, uh, since people are feeling empowered by his white nationalism and whatnot. The vast majority of trans people who get killed are sex workers and people of color. And so there that that intersection of sex work, people of person of color and trans, it's a very, very vulnerable situation for Mm. a lot of people. And is it is it similar there in Australia? I, for sex workers specifically, I don't think it's necessarily similar just because okay. we do have options for legal sex work. Um, mm, okay. But yes, 
Um, I wouldn't, we don't, well, we do kind of have a white nationalist <laughs> as the leader of the country, but it's, it doesn't incite as much violence. That's good. Trump. Not good that you have a white nationalist-ish leader, but <laughs> good that he doesn't he's incite as, as much he's violence. He's like one of those ones who like denies it rather than is like out and proud as it. Um, right. But yeah, it's, we do have a similar situation in, if you think about the law as setting the standards for which society, like who deserves respect in society. So if you have legal standing under the law, then you can enforce a certain level of rights and it means that you command a certain level of respect. And whether those rights are new, say marriage equality, um, there's still this kind of this fight going on, but largely you have the ability to enforce rights. Mm, In Australia, we do have a similar situation to the United States where sex workers are criminalized to varying extents, trans people, are criminalized, have their rights denied to varying extents, and people of color, specifically Indigenous Australians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, are Mm. targeted under the criminal law and criminalized. Mm. And so the experience of Indigenous trans sex workers, they have like those three parts of the law working against them where it's a constant struggle to work safely and assert their humanity and their work like they have a whole bunch of things that me as a white person just do not even have to contemplate i was at a national forum last year and heard some indigenous trans sex workers speak and just the ways that they try and hide their indigenous identity and where they say Mm. that from just to combat the level of racism that exists amongst white australia for our indigenous Mm. peers is horrifying that's so sad that's so horrifying Well, we are coming up on our hour, uh, a question that I often ask my guests before we uh, close out the show is what are three books any on any topic uh, that that you love that you would recommend to my to my listeners? Great. On on this (laughs) on this or any subject. Oh, three. I love reading so much. So it's so hard to pick. Um, So. On this subject, definitely Revolting Prostitutes by Juno Mack and Molly Smith. It is a wonderful book on the sex industry and examines it as labor and ties it into labor rights movements, immigration movements, anti-racist movements, and it is so powerful what they've done. That's Mm. fantastic. Another book I really enjoyed recently was My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Mosfek. It's a wonderful fiction book just a story with so much tension and so much darkness i think all books should have darkness that's why (laughs) fiction is absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and oh and third i to stay on the theme i think of sex and shame um girls and sex by peggy orenstein orenstein yeah which is a book largely focused on America, actually, that unpacks the ways in which a sex-negative culture can be so toxic and presents this really strong argument of why sex positivity is the best way to move forward for people's safety. Mm, Awesome. I will list those in the show notes. (laughs) I also really want to end this 
uh, episode with an invitation to my listeners, which is if you are a human being, you have probably interacted in some way with sex work, predominantly porn. And this the invitation is to simply not be afraid of that. Like lean towards it in the theme of radical kindness and curiosity. Be Show yourself the kindness and be curious about that and relax into it and uh, e- explore your emotions, explore your own sex- sexuality. I promise you, you won't get struck by lightning. <laughs> and, that's, and, that's, and that's my invitation in this show. And do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would say to people to actually engage with sex workers and the content that we put out there to not necessarily book us but follow our twitter account um we say really interesting things and read our blogs absolutely and learn from us because sex is our job we're professionals we (laughs) and we put forward a really interesting perspective that i think a lot of people can learn from i 100 percent agree with that and on that note where can people find your work um so i tweet a lot at my at name is at food sex water because I think that talking about sex should be as normal as talking about food or water. Mm-hmm. Um, my website is also www.foodsexwater.com. Um, yeah, those are the main ways. Great. Awesome. Cool. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Stephen. It's been great. Awesome. Well, that is it for this show. As usual, the music is by the Jelly Rocks and Eleven T Seven. You can find their albums Bang and Whimper and Rad Science on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. Special thanks goes out to my assistant, Justin Dozier Bryant, who has done who does all of the artwork for this show. If you see the uh, graphics for Sacred Tension on social media and Instagram and whatnot, and that's all him. So go to his Twitter account, go to his Facebook, give him some love. Also, do go to my Patreon, uh, Patreon forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. Uh, donate a dollar a month or five dollars a month. Support the creators you love. That way I can also pay Justin every month. <laughs> That's important. And uh, also be sure to check out our other shows. Uh, check out Eleventy Life uh, with Matt Langston. He uh, explores the music industry. Uh, check out Bible Bash, which is about a trans and queer perspective on the Bible and Holy Scripture in general. Uh, and we have so many other shows coming on board and as usual thanks for listening